It's another episode of Movies You Should Love with Lauren and Scott. This is Movies You Should Love, a podcast where we look at some classic and contemporary movies and we kind of analyze them, pick them apart. Um, we do get into some spoiler territory because we do kind of see ourselves as a more analytical podcast. Um, we kind of see ourselves as, you know, film school without the tuition. We both went to film school. We're both working uh, in our own ways in the film industry. And um, we're here to kind of uh, maybe bridge the gap between movies that you like and all those movies that you, you know, should love. Um, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com uh, slash movies you should. You can follow us on Twitter at movies you should. Um, or find us on our website where you can find all of our other previous episodes um, at movies you should love.com. Also, if you are a, if you've been joining us for a couple episodes now, um, we would love for you to rate us on iTunes. You know, spread, help us spread the word of uh, what we're doing here. Um, and this particular episode is uh, we're looking at uh, number 82 on AFI's top 100 list, a silent film called Sunrise. A tale uh, of two humans. Yes. Is it two humans or two lovers? Uh, sure, something like that. I okay. think it's humans. <laughs> okay. But I don't, I don't know that for sure. That sounds pretentious enough. <laughs> um, but before we get into that, uh, Lauren, what have you been up to lately? Uh, well, let's see. Lately... Um, well, just like everyone else, I've had Hunger Games fever, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe not fever, but I have I have uh, been holding off on reading the books and finally read them. And then this weekend, um, I went and actually saw the movie, which I know you also have gone here recently to see yeah, the movie. Yeah, so. Kelly and I went and saw, we went to the midnight showing, and that was a lot of fun um, going there with, you're, you're filled in a room with uh, so many nerds who are excited for the same thing you are. It's always a lot of fun. Um yeah, we actually sat down uh, next to two people who were, you know, costumed. One was dressed as Buttercup, the cat, <laughs> who features very prominently in the film, as you remember. <laughs> and the other one was dressed as Fire, the yes. element fire. The element fire, which... <laughs> Not a character, just no, the concept of fire. <laughs> but it does play prominently. I'll, I'll go with it. I'll allow it. <laughs> <laughs> they were really friendly, nice girls, but it was just kind of funny. when They sort of walk up the stairs, Kelly leans up, she goes, is that a cat? Is that a cat on fire? Like, like, I don't know what's about to happen. Nice. That's hilarious. Well, um, I mean, this is a new movie, so I don't want to get too spoilery on it yeah. for people. Um, but just kind of my review of it, having both read the books, seen the movie, everything, I thought this was really quite good uh, for a movie uh, of, of, of the book. It, it both did some adaptation as we talked about in our adaptation podcast mm -hmm. and it also did some direct translation of the book as well into the spots and and they kind of picked and chose carefully i think which areas they did some of that stuff with and uh, i thought overall it was pretty successful um maybe my biggest gripe that i have with it is Why some a tripod <laughs> yeah um no just some of the camera work in it um yeah. kind of especially towards the beginning of the movie yeah there's there's one conversation in particular where they're out in the middle of a field mm -hmm. and gail and katniss are kind of talking mm -hmm. and like this handheld camera is like doing this funky stuff and like half the time you're looking at the backs of people's heads and stuff and it's right and it's focused on the mountains way beyond them yeah and they're and out they're, of focus and yeah. that was a really awkward scene to me and, it, and i just never quite the, the camera was just moving and shaky enough that you never quite got during the reaping and and even once you got to the capital some of the yeah. some of the stuff with like the dress which was really big plot point in the books mm. um you never quite got the focus on some of that kind of stuff that maybe you really needed 
Yeah, and I, I do agree. I, 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 I too really enjoyed the books and also really enjoyed the movie. Um, I, I wonder, there's part, two th- parts of me. One part of me wanted them to kind of, like I said, buy a tripod, set that camera down, mm-hmm. give, give us some nice, slow, establishing shots, show us District 12, which is this kind of Cold War, mm-hmm. Appalachia-looking place. Yeah, it looked really cool. I it mean, looked great. great. I just wanted to see more of it. Yeah, you know? great like, set design and stuff. Exactly. Show that off. You know, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of feel like they might have they might have hurt some people who haven't read the books in their ability to get into the film quicker. Yeah. Because it kind of takes those first 20 minutes almost for the camera to settle down and by that point you're in the capital city. You're past the reaping. You're past a lot mm-hmm. of things that are kind of important to this world. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of was like, man, I wish they could just set the camera down and just show this off yeah and then the other part of me was like i wonder if that was a choice because the books were written in this first person present tense in which you know it's like i am doing this if there's the the narrator who is katniss never has any idea of what basically how the sentence is going to end she doesn't know what's about to happen next and i wondered if the film or if the camera work was an extension of that narrative voice mm-hmm. Where as the when we're reading it, we have no idea what's going on, and we're catching these glimpses as Katniss catches them. But I might be giving Gary Ross too much credit. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like I'm I'm totally willing to believe that. I just don't know that it works as right. Like it it definitely works once the games begin. Yes. Um, yes. It doesn't. Some of the, some of the, the fighting. I mean, they, they, I know they. Ha- it's a young adult book, and so mm-hmm. some of this stuff could it could very quickly become a rated R film. Yeah. And so I think they very wisely filmed a lot of the um, fight scenes, keeping it frenetic, keeping it like blink and you miss what just happened, and yeah. also thirteen kids are dead. <laughs> you know, yeah. because it can be pretty. It could be a very gruesome, grisly story and it already kind of is even mm-hmm. with that so i mean yeah. there were major tears and stuff in the theater i was in <laughs> um so yeah uh th- that's honestly my only bone to pick with this and, and i'm willing to be- i'm sure it was a stylistic choice and i'm willing to believe there was a lot of thought behind it i just kind of think that there could have been maybe a ramping up to it mm-hmm. kind of also following maybe katniss's as she gets more and more overwhelmed by the city and everything, Absolutely. like bringing more and more of that been, in. That would have been great if they yeah. had kind of, if the camera became unsettled at the reaping and yeah. then became kind of, you know, crazy. And then into the games, it was super, you know, born identity, whatever, mm-hmm. where it's like the camera's just moving everywhere. And then there comes a point where she makes up her mind on what she's going to do, let the camera settle back mm-hmm. down again, where she's becoming, you know, more thoughtful. As yeah the film kind of climaxes yeah so that honestly that, i loved some of the things that they added some of the uh, mm-hmm. the ways that they used the uh, the televised event to explain mm-hmm. plot points and things that, that was great not, um I loved, <laughs> I, i'm mr exposition <laughs> yeah but it worked really well because it, it worked great yeah. because it's a sporting event basically and you get that when you watch any kind of sporting event you'll have like oh you know that's you know yeah but, you have the color commentary yeah the color commentary and that's what stanley tucci and that other actor did yeah <laughs> like hey for those of you who don't know what a tracker jacker is yeah. like, well played yeah that's nice and and then adding in the stuff with the game maker as yeah. well because that's alluded to in the book but you and and it's explained yeah it's explained more in the third book and mm-hmm. so bringing some of that in here i think also worked really yeah, well there was, there was a handful of scenes that katniss was not in which i thought was really cool to see because in the book again you only get to go where katniss goes so if she doesn't see it you don't get to see it mm-hmm. and so see yeah, seeing that and then there's a couple of conversations with the president which i thought were kind of neat to see um 
and the the the, the big addition. What's well, not a big? It's like thirty seconds maybe. But when um, this is oh, it's kind of spoilery. A character dies, and we get to see their district's reaction, which yeah. I thought was really pretty amazing. Um, was because well, I mean they talk about it in the second book. Mm-hmm. It, it is a part of the story. They go, oh, and there were riots in that district. You don't know about this, but to see that in the movie, it kind of gave me chills in a way that the death didn't. But mm-hmm. then seeing that, I went, oh. Oh <laughs> yeah, well, because again, slightly in spoilery territory, but in in the in the movie, you almost need that because in the book, she Katniss's character kind of keeps alluding to what's going on or kind of having a a loose understanding. You kind of know what what the things in the arena mean outside of the arena, and um, you don't necessarily know that in the movie because you don't have her internal exposition. Right. So I, I do look forward to the second movie because that's where it gets really political and that's mm-hmm. the part that really fascinated me with the whole series was this political conversation um because i mean for those of you who haven't read the books or the movie or seen the movie yet um you know this is a world that sometime in the future after a pretty much a major american civil war seems to have taken place in which a new a new capital is constructed basically in the denver area and america is broken up into 12 major districts um and you have the uh, and you 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 find yourself kind of caught up in this moment where there is going to be a new revolution more or less mm-hmm. um and our main character Katniss is kind of at the forefront of it all and finds herself yeah. up in this kind of the catalyst of the of yeah, the revolution yeah she really kind of inspires it here in this first Hunger Games and then as it, the stories continue you see how she continues to be kind of a symbol for this revolution and it's pretty fascinating stuff and um it kind of leads me a little bit into something well, different entirely which I'll talk yeah. <laughs> I think well, next we'll, week <laughs> yeah well, we'll jump into that next week here but um I was just gonna say just um kind of my only caveats with this movie is it is a PG-13 it is in my opinion a really really hard PG-13 um you know your younger kids don't necessarily need to see this movie because it has it's pretty seems, it's it's really violent and it's violence against children yeah which makes it incredibly you know if you were seeing this in you know the movie gladiator or something you would kind of expect to see gladiators in the arena right. who are like these grown you know men must you know fight but this is like 12 year old kids yeah killing each other yeah because the people fighting are i think they're age 12 to 18 so yeah. the, old, the youngest kid's gonna be 12 years old and there's at least one who's killed pretty brutally by an 18 year old and just go yeesh yeah and it's i mean it is like i said there were there were tears and um some yeah it was it was a pretty um intense sort of movie so but Stanley uh, great <laughs> yeah it's 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 really good it's just keep in mind it's a pretty intense film yeah uh, probably especially for younger kids so Absolutely. so Absolutely. use some use some judgment yeah, going into this exactly I completely agree. So, anyway, what else you seen, Scott? Um, well, something I've been playing, I actually just beat it a couple nights ago, is this game I can't recommend enough, which is called I Am Alive. <laughs> <laughs> it is really, it's, the best way I can describe it is if you took um, The Road, the movie or the book, The Road, uh, combined it with the book of Eli, and made a video game out of it, that's what this game is. It um, It's available on Xbox Live as a download, so I'm assuming it's available for PC as well as a downloadable game. It's a fairly short game. I think I beat it in about six hours of gameplay. Um, but you start the game off as this guy who's trying... He's coming back into his hometown after being gone for a year. He's, his home is Haventown, 
or Haven Town. Mm-hmm. PlayStation um, and Xbox is not available for available oh, for PC. Sorry, PC gamers, it's pretty fantastic. <laughs> um, basically, he's coming home to meet uh, to find his wife and his daughter, and the city, and they, we don't know what happened. It's kind of like that's what made me think of the road is because they keep call, talking about the event, this mm-hmm. event that took place. Um, but you're in this city that's completely desolate, completely destroyed, and you start the game off with a gun but no bullets and it's not like uh, other shooters where you, you pick you're, you're going to find like oh here's a pack of bullets and now i can go fight off people the most bullets i ever carried at one time was four it's like it's a pretty intense game because you run into people who are like some people you run into they're like hey man i don't want any trouble and they'll just back away from you other people will become very hostile and start to attack you and if you pull your gun they'll stop and then you have to bluff your way out of that situation um, through basic, you know, it's a kind of a third-person game. It's not like Mass Effect where you have uh, conversational options. It's all in your body language. If you move away too quickly or if you hold the gun on them for too long, they'll, you'll hear them go, uh, if he was going to shoot, he would have shot already. And then they'll charge you, and you have to find a way to either escape or kind of fend them off. Um, it's, a very, it, it's a very brutal game in that respect because you can't get shot and live basically you know you get shot you're dead one shot um the game also incorporates this like you have a health bar but then you also have the more important bar is your um your stamina bar and so like there's a lot of climbing in the game but you can't it's not like uh, tomb raider where you can just climb and jump or prince of persia and no big deal you climb up something and you're going to be exhausted you need to find a place to sit down before you can um scale the other part of the wall or scale over this other thing and so it feels very real and all of a sudden when you're looking at the skyscraper knowing you have to get to the top of it it becomes kind of terrifying because you go i don't know if there's going to be staircases in there i might have to climb over things i'm not that strong there might be people camped out in there all i have is my machete and my gun with one bullet <laughs> it's a it it's a really fun cool game um I just beat it, like I said. Um, I want to play through it again because there are survivors you can find and you can help. And that's the other thing that happens in this game. You find, like, uh, first aid kits or you'll find, like, painkiller medicine to heal you. But then you can use it to heal yourself, but then you might run to somebody who needs help. But if you use that first aid kit to heal you, you can't help them. Hmm. And so then they'll kind of go, oh, you can't help me? Okay, well... I really shouldn't expect any different. I know everybody's really selfish now, blah, blah, blah. You know, like, and you feel horrible, and you're walking away going, I used that health kit. I really didn't need it, <laughs> you know? And that person could have used it. It's a, it's a, if it ever becomes available for PC, Lauren, I'd highly recommend it. For any of, any of our listeners who have a 360 or a PS3, it's cool. It's got this real desaturated kind of film look to it. It's, it's, a, it's a cool game. Nice. Um, let's see, I've seen a really interesting documentary recently um and i will definitely see that's almost enough to go get make me get an xbox (laughs) or maybe a ps3 um anyhow uh interesting documentary uh called the sweat box Um, yeah you posted on this on the website yeah this is um it's kind of a fun little story here with it this is uh a documentary about the making of the Emperor's New Groove, mm-hmm. um, the Disney cartoon that came out uh, early early two thousands sometime. Yes, um, it's uh, it's a very interesting documentary because Disney never actually 
released it except mm-hmm. for a very limited run for about a week at a film festival um so that it could be in contention for an academy award okay. um, other than that they've never put it out on dvd and have never made it available um until a couple of weeks ago when um a random kid somewhere an animator or something like that mm-hmm. found a copy of it um mm-hmm. a pre-release screener copy and uploaded it to youtube um which I'm sure made Disney incredibly happy. Um, because they took it off. Because <laughs> they took it off YouTube very quickly. quickly. But uh, I was able to watch it before they took it down. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was it was fascinating. I mean, I had known a lot of the uh, the making of, of the movie. but um, Because that was a movie that had a lot of contention or a lot of changes throughout the whole process it it? did it had it had a really um rocky development process it started out it was called kingdom of the sun um yeah and it was going to be a super serious kind of more traditional disney movie yeah yeah exactly and it was it was um kind of this big epic um huge kind of story like like i mean seriously like an epic Mm -hmm. sort of movie and it changed titles three times. Um, they went. Th- they fired the original director mm-hmm. um, and replaced him with another director mm-hmm. um, halfway through the development of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, it um, s- uh, the musician Sting was doing the music for the movie, mm-hmm. and uh, the the documentarian was actually his wife. And it was part of Sting's contract that she was able to have basically unfettered access to the production process of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a lot of things from the musical standpoint and from, um, you know, from his standpoint as kind of an outsider looking into Disney's production process. And, um, you know, it's, it's just very interesting because there's a lot of incredibly stressful screenings of the movie and really tense moments and, um, you know, some stuff where you're just like, man, this is, this is, the most stressful, uh, soul-crushing process ever. And at the same time, there's kind of this... There's really fascinating and fantastic art coming out of this, and mm-hmm. and in a way, it is fulfilling to certain people. And even at the end of the day, somebody like Sting, who expected to be on the project for, I don't know, a year and ended up being on it for three and a half years or something, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't what he expected to get into, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day he kind of says that you know the process forced his stuff to get better and for the final product to be a better thing than it started as um interesting so it's it's a really interesting sort of documentary because it's both it's both not really affirming of the process (laughs) right and at the same time incredibly affirming of the process because it at the end of the day, I mean, I'm guessing most of you have seen The Emperor's New Groove. And I really like it. Yeah, it's not a bad little movie. It's, it's really funny. Yeah. So, anyhow, fascinating. If somehow you are still able to see it, you should watch it. Um, otherwise, uh, sorry. <laughs> I don't, I, I, hopefully Disney will release a DVD. Uh, yeah, I would really love point. for them to release it. Like, even on just like digitally on Netflix or something. You know, yeah. I would like to see it. I've heard about it. And I, like I said, like I heard some of these rumors about how, you know, how frustrating a process it was to make that movie, which is really, which really shocked me when I first heard it because that movie seems like such a light piece of entertainment. It's just like, mm-hmm. it's just like this really funny little adventure, and all of a sudden you're like, oh no, 
that movie was hell to make. You're like, really? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It seems like it should have just been like the easiest development process, and and yeah, not even remotely. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, uh, that's a the sweat box. It's kind of a cool, uh, cool movie. So keep your eyes and ears open for when yeah. it shows back up again. Exactly. Um, I saw a really interesting movie called Melancholia. Have you seen this? Okay. Um, oh, sorry. We're, we're see us. Lord <laughs> shook his head. Yes, this is this is why uh, we shouldn't do video when we're chatting. <laughs> uh, this is Lars von Trier's uh, latest film. Uh, it stars Kirsten Dunst and other actors. Um, it's a really, really fascinating movie to watch. Um, it is clearly a very personal, very intimate kind of a film. It clearly comes from a very, um, it comes, it clearly comes from a place that, uh, Von Trier is trying to explore in himself because basically what this movie is, is a exploration of the feeling of melancholy to the point of crippling depression. Hmm. And so Kirsten Dunst, it begins with Kirsten Dunst on her wedding day and how it, this really should be the happiest day of her life and how she's really just depressed, like clinical depression, you know, not that she knows she has every reason to be happy. She's just depressed. And then as we kind of get into this movie a little bit more into the characters a little more, we discover there is a planet. It's a little bit of a sci-fi film. It takes a real interesting twist in that they just, they realize that there is this un previously unknown of planet on the other side of the sun called that the people have called melancholia they've named it this and it's going to pass by the earth at a given point some scientists think it's actually going to destroy the earth it's going to actually collide with the earth and destroy all mankind other people think no no it will pass it'll get better which is a really interesting metaphor for depression a very Hmm. clear you know like this is clearly what he is trying to do here um I don't think it's spoiling to say that the movie actually ends with the complete destruction of Earth, Um, even though that is the last shot of the film. It's also the first shot of the film, so it's really not that, like, um, shocking when it happens. That being said, when it does happen, it's some of the most interesting character work I've seen, because Von Trier seems to also be saying within this film that um, people who are depressed actually can handle awful situations better than the non-depressed people can because depressed people always believe things are going to get bad and so they're kind of ready for it to be bad and so you see Kirsten Dunst actually in an interesting way she's completely unlikable in the film because she's just cripplingly depressed just laying around just kind of whining about things and you're just like get up do something it's kind of the reaction a lot of people have towards someone who is depressed which is unfortunate but once once we discover that the planet is getting closer and it's probably going to destroy earth she steps up in a really interesting way to kind of not save her family but help them through the process of realizing life sucks and then you die mm-hmm. um, so the final shot of the film is really a pretty amazing shot that I was kind of blown away by and I kind of watched it two or three times um, and it's I mean it's, it's it's a shot I really can't describe because it won't have the emotional impact of having sat through it for two hours and then seeing this kind of last moment. Um, really interesting photography, especially at the beginning of this film. Um, it's not a movie I would necessarily recommend to everybody because it's not a fun movie. Again, it's about depression and about a person who is depressed. And so it is a very 
slow kind of quiet movie but it has a lot of really great actors doing a lot of really great character work um and i really enjoyed it hmm that sounds really good yeah, I was kind of surprised. L- Lawrence von Trier is a director I have an interesting relationship with because I either like love his movies or I have vowed never to watch it. You know, like he released a movie called Antichrist that I've heard just enough of to know I will never watch it. <laughs> you know? um, but yet he also did a movie called Dogville, which I really quite liked. Mm-hmm. It was a really weird, interesting, experimental film that I really liked. It's He's an interesting guy. Yeah, very cool. Um, so I guess the last movie that, strangely enough, both you and I watched here... Completely coincidentally, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, without any uh, previous planning or anything. Um, I can watch Robin Hood movies, too. <laughs> uh, Robin and Marion. It's a... Yeah. yeah. Um, it's got Sean Connery in it as Robin Hood, which is really enough reason alone for you to go out and watch this movie. Um but and, then it also has Audrey Hepburn in it. Yeah, and I didn't realize that she hadn't made a movie in nine years when she made this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, she kind of it was kind of hailed as her return to cinema after having um, basically kind of gone away for a little while to raise her family and do other things. Um, but the movie takes I thought it was a really interesting kind of approach to the story in that basically the story you know of Robin Hood has already taken place. This is Robin Hood in his later years, mm-hmm. which is interesting because you know. This movie, while kind of being a new chapter, more or less, also tells the exact same story almost all the other Robin Hood movies do. (laughs) You know, it's like, he comes home from the Crusades, which is a kind of a staple of a lot of the movies, um, and he finds his kingdom, or not his kingdom, he finds his country um, in turmoil, and he steps up and kind of champions the men to fight back and to save the country, kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Just with kind of a a sly twist on everything yeah, i would absolutely. say because instead, yeah. instead of him kind of having to rally people and prove himself people come to him and go you saved us once before why don't you lead us again and he's like oh no i'm done with that you know <laughs> and that is is scott sean connery it's the best isn't it you thought sean connery was here <laughs> no but it's it's a lot of fun because it's like it's him and then it's like a really funny movie too which i wasn't expecting it's got a lot of really unexpected comedy that really kind of works i i think my favorite I, I mean, I know you have a favorite. I love the little bit where he stands on John's back to get out of the dungeon. He's, oh. like, chipping away at a stone, and he gets done it pulling the stone a, out of the wall. all night to do All that. night. The so little John is, like, bent over with Robin standing on him all night long, and he finally gets the stone out. And the door opens, and the guard's like, the king will see you now. <laughs> and all of their work was for nothing. It's just, it's like... It's almost a throwaway moment, except it's not. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's it shows his character, but then also kind mm-hmm. of shows the situation where it's like, yeah, he works really hard, and this still happens. Yeah. Um, but my favorite part is like when he kind of he finally reunites with Marion, who in this film was really interesting. I thought she has kind of given up her court position or whatever position she had after Robin and her had their life. She's become a nun. And mm-hmm. so he kind of meets her at this monastery, and he's going to take her away. And then, like the king's men show up to kind of, uh, no, kid, uh, not kidnap them, but arrest them. And a soldier comes up to Robin, and he's kind of got Marion in his arms. And the soldier comes up, and Robin just like kicks him in the balls, <laughs> and the guy falls over. You know, it's almost like a moment out of Spaceballs, where the guy like he grabs his crotch, falls to his knees, falls over, and Sean Connery's just there, like you know. Nope. <laughs> he just kind of walks away. It's like one of the funniest, most like, I was not, I did not see that 
coming at all. Yeah, and and we say this, and I don't know, uh, maybe these moments of, of humor sound like they would detract from it. They don't. It's, no. It's actually not a silly movie. It's not it's a actually, silly movie. It just has moments of really funny humor in it. Yeah, and because, it's not, because it's not Robin, a at all. Yeah, because Robin is just a witty funny fellow in general he he approaches life with kind of a a humor to it a gaiety yes and um no and that that's what yeah. kind of surprised me was how rooted i felt like it was in reality where mm-hmm. some robin hood movies definitely go towards action or they go mm-hmm. towards fantasy this is kind of a robin i could believe existed mm-hmm. you know yeah. it's like yeah no this, this this would be the story that actually happened if you will you know um, and that, which is what made the comedy completely fit into it, even though it is a drama. It is. It has its action moments. Um, some of the fight choreography is a little, a little hokey, um, but overall, I really, I really enjoyed it. And it's like, I'm glad I sat down and watched it. Yeah, this is, um, you know, there's there's a lot of Robin Hood movies. This is definitely in, one of in my top, probably in my top <laughs> one of them. It's, pro- <laughs> it's probably in in my top four or five yeah. at least it's it's very very good and i would i would highly recommend it yeah. to anyone who Absolutely. uh who enjoys the genre so that's a whole bunch of other stuff that we watched in order to put off uh the inevitable the inevitable of getting <laughs> sunrise. to sunrise a tale of two humans or is it lovers i don't know <laughs> <laughs> which is number 82 on afi's top 100 um a silent film from days gone by i forgot to write down the year <laughs> well it was the first year of the academy awards when it came out and this movie won three of them and was nominated for four total yeah. um so yeah it uh it shared best picture with another film uh, they, they actually had two separate best picture categories one was like best overall and the other was like best uh technical and creative or something like that. Yeah, it's a a category that has never existed since. Yeah, pretty much. But uh, the movie won for Best Actress, which is a little laughable today. Um, Best Cinematography and Best Picture, and it was also nominated for Art Direction. And the year was 1927. Yes. And, uh, yeah, that was uh, two weeks before a little movie called The Jazz Singer came out, when this movie came out. And Scott just did jazz hands, uh, but you couldn't see it because he was mimicking a silent film. Nobody was supposed to know about that. (laughs) That was for me and you, Lauren. (laughs) Um, Yeah, this is... This is a... a, Well, I'm just going to start here. By today's standards... This is not a good movie. Not a good movie. <laughs> it's got an incredibly laughable plot. Yeah. Um, okay, it, really, and, and over the, the top. It has acting. the kind of plot that a music video has. You know, it's like, it's very simplified. It's very truncated, but just 90 minutes long. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's... That said, I think it's really, really hard to judge this movie by today's standards. I don't think that's really a f- possible. Yeah, I don't think that's entirely a fair metric to put on this because, really, both the language of cinema at the time was incredibly mm-hmm. different than it is mm-hmm. today, um, and the world was a different place at that time as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, this you know this is a very um, it's very rooted in kind of a. Um, 
ethos of a certain period with um, kind of the concept of the city versus the the farmer's life or the you know the the country life mm-hmm. and you know it's it's a lot of themes and things that we don't necessarily quite right. deal with today and some of the concepts of the way love works and of the relationships between men yeah. and women and things it's not quite it doesn't quite gel with our modern sensibility of some of that no, not at all. Um, and the acting style is incredibly of the period in silent films because there was no spoken dialogue. You know, there was overacting and, mm-hmm. and things were a little more melodramatic and, mm-hmm. and so forth. Um, you know, today it just looks like, you know, people are kind of wringing their hands and going yeah. crazy with the acting. So it's, it's going to be tougher to watch if you're not, in the right mindset for this film to begin with, I think. Mm-hmm. So it's important to kind of set that up at the beginning and say that if you go into it not really prepared, <laughs> it's going to be laughably bad to you. Yeah. Um, yeah, Kelly and, I, Kelly and I sat down to watch it, and Kelly kind of lost interest, and she was kind of in and out of the room. And uh, honestly, I, I already told you this, we had the most fun with this by supplying our own dialogue. You know, just by almost like forgetting what the actual plot was for a moment and just kind of providing what we thought the characters should be saying. And it's fun for that. But yeah, the story, well, and we can kind of get into this part of it, which is, I don't think this is a story that is meant to be taken literally. Um, Due to the fact that it's a silent film, um, they do at times, you know, kind of do that cut to black, see the text on the screen so you see what they're saying. But as the movie goes on, you actually get fewer and fewer of those. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... It's more, I think one reviewer said it was lyrical. It's like it almost seems like more of a poem, which is really the way I have to look at it in order to enjoy the story, is that I'm not supposed to think this is a literal series of events. This is an exploration of love and how what love can triumph over temptation or hardship or, you know, whatever, and how, you know, they lived happily ever after, because that's how a song or a poem is supposed to end. Yeah, I, I would completely... And I think you can see that... Um, I mean, just based on the title, I mean, mm-hmm. Sunrise, A Tale of Two Humans. Right. And then the characters are not, none of the characters have names. It's always like a man. A right, it's, like it's the man, the girl, the, mm-hmm. the, t- what's, the what's, temptress yeah, or the, something the, like, like that. The, she's got a really funny name. It's like, it's not the temptress, it's like the, the, the raggedy city. woman or something yeah. weird like that. Yeah, you know, everybody has kind of an archetypical sort of name applied to them. Yeah. Um, so it is intended, I think, to be very thematic and and uh, as you said i think i think a, a visual poem might be the might be the best interpretation of what this movie is trying to be mm-hmm. um so yes it, it does set out to be uh, a bit pretentious yeah if you will here's the cast list the man the wife the woman from the city the maid the photographer the barber the manicure girl the obtrusive gentleman the obliging gentleman <laughs> <laughs> and so these are the character names i mean they definitely set off as you know types of people more than actual people it seems right um so uh, with that said um let's talk maybe a little bit about what this movie why this movie's on this list yeah why this movie's on this list because uh, the story uh, your mileage is going to vary with the story definitely it's, you know there's there's parts of it that i loved there's some really funny little bits there's some um really interesting bits there's some stuff where mm-hmm. i've just kind of was yawning at the screen uh you know it just it depends where you are in the movie 
it the story isn't necessarily what you're watching this no. for at this point. Um, but here, it, let's talk about why it's on the list and what works with this. Because um, obviously, to to at least Hollywood at the time, this was something incredibly worthwhile of winning major awards. And even today, it's still on this list right. of the best movies ever. So, um, all right, well... It's, I mean, you want to take it from here? It's, I mean... I think this is. I think this is kind of. I don't know. I feel like you you have a better sure. grasp on some of this than I do because okay. this really is a technical masterpiece when it comes to right the film making itself. Yes, that, that's kind of what I was going to say with it. this this movie um, because it is a silent film. Well, first off, let's start with the soundtrack to this movie. Okay. Um, technically, this is a silent movie. Right. Um, but that said, it was released to theaters that had the technology, which mm-hmm. is not a lot of them, but mm-hmm. theaters maybe in big cities, it would come with um, basically like a phonograph record mm-hmm. um, of a soundtrack for the movie. And this was the first time that had happened. Yeah. From my, um, from my understanding, from what I read. So or, it's like, or one of the very first, yeah. if not the first. I mean, this was, this was very cutting-edge technology yeah. at the time. So the soundtrack had a pre-recorded musical score, so you didn't necessarily have to have like the piano or organ player in the theater mm-hmm. actually play it along with the movie. Um, but it also it had actually, crowd noises in it, too. And then it added crowd noises, automobile noises, you know, yeah. sound effects and that kind of thing. There was no dialogue spoken, because they couldn't... The technology wasn't quite there to actually match the dialogue with right. Like, like the sound, like the sound effects the and the crowd noises aren't synced up with anything necessarily. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, they're in the city, and so you can kind of hear some cars, you can hear people talking, <laughs> but it's not like you know someone shuts the door and you hear the door bang. Right. Kind it's of it's more ambiance yes. kind of thing. Yes. Um, so. Uh, so that's a pretty cool thing. I, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you can watch the movie a couple of ways on the DVD that you'll get if you yeah, if you get this. You it, it has completely silently, mm-hmm. or it has the soundtrack, so you can kind of get the different experiences that different audiences might have had at the time. Um, so that's kind of just a cool yeah. beginning of the technical stuff with this. Um, but moving on, um, the director F. W. Murnau, who was a German filmmaker, mm-hmm. um, who probably most of you will know the most from his movie Nosferatu, yeah. which is kind of the, the granddaddy of all Dracula movies. Or, um, um, and, a, and a fun movie that was made about Nosferatu called Shadow of the Vampire, which right, has like Carrie Elwes in it and Willem Dafoe, and it's about the making of it, but also the fantasy world where the vampire was a real vampire. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's in our... Uh, uh, other suggestions. Yeah. We'll mention that again here at some point. But yeah, that's... Um, I, th- I think John Malkovich plays Marno or something. It's Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, Nosferatu is truly one of... It's still a very terrifying movie in its own mm-hmm. way. It, it has some of the flaws of silent films that modern... But it also has just some truly creepy moments. Absolutely. It still. It's a very successful sort of movie. Um, and then he also made a movie um, called The Last Laugh, which... Not had no, that. it had no dialogue in it whatsoever. So none of those little inter- interstitial screens that had like you could tell he did not yeah. like doing it. Because like yeah. I said, like you get fewer and fewer as the movie goes along. Yeah. So he was, you know, he was pioneering kind of this this visual storytelling where he was really using visuals to tell mm-hmm. his story. To and and so that's a pretty cool thing. And uh, he finally came to Hollywood, um, moved from Germany to Hollywood, and this was his first studio picture, and he took the budget that Hollywood gave him and put it into the technical aspects of making this movie. So, um, 
it doesn't really sound like much, but basically at that time, cameras didn't move very much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, today we get stuff where you can like you know fly through keyholes and that kind of thing. Oh, we right. have really, really amazing camera movement today. Um, yeah, we have tiny, tiny cameras people can put on their heads. Yeah. You know. Yeah. At the time, though, a, a camera either had um, a camera operator attached to it who was maybe actually cranking it to move the film through it. So you had to move, mm-hmm. you know, an entire bulky camera plus a camera operator. Or, you know, if they did have better cameras that came along, you still, um, they, they got bigger and stuff as you mm-hmm. added things to them. Um, and so they, that was a very difficult thing to do, to move a camera around. Um, and then, as soon as the jazz singer hit, uh, you had the invention of or the sound coming into movies, which suddenly turned. Well, the cameras were really loud. There had been no reason to make them quiet up till this point, and the technology didn't exist to make them quiet. So, to record sound with a movie, you actually had to put the camera basically in a separate room, mm-hmm. um, which seems counterproductive to filming something. So there, there were all kinds of techniques for hiding cameras and putting them in soundproof rooms with glass to shoot through or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, whatever the, the case was. Um, and so, you know, if your camera's in another room, basically, from where you're filming, obviously you're not going to be moving that camera around because you basically only have the one shot that you've set up. Right. So before this movie... And if everybody, and, sorry, not to interrupt, but if anybody wants a, a great uh, visual of what this looks like, watch Singing in the Rain. There's a really great sequence that involves filming and sound and all of these things. It's really yeah, exactly. interesting. Um, exactly. Um, the, um, so yeah, basically, um, the two weeks after this movie came out <laughs> removed all ability... To move your camera again. So this movie exists in like this really, really small sliver of time where um, the budget was there Mm -hmm. to do amazing things with the camera and to do storytelling with it. So there are shots in this movie um, that are almost impossible to film. Um, especially using practical effects. There's there's stuff where the camera is flying. Um, a lot of people right. talk about that um, uh, in their reviews from the period and stuff who are talking yeah, about there's, how... there's an early scene that takes place in the swamp, and it looks mm-hmm. like a very real swamp, but once you get into how they made that moment, it's on a set, and the mm-hmm. camera is on ropes or wires, and it's like basically flying over the swamp, and it's a really smooth motion, mm-hmm. and it's not something you expect to see in a 1927 mm-hmm. movie. Well, and there's like set elements, like there's a, a fake moon that it has to fly behind, and so, I mean it's right. it's very complicated filming. Right. Um, if you want to, if you want, probably the best way to watch this movie is to get the DVD and turn the commentary track on because you will find out so many interesting things about kind of the history and the making of this because that's that's really where this movie gets really interesting. Um, they also did things uh, with this movie. They were doing um, superimposition kind of shots. There's some things, some cool stuff that happens in that. Yeah, where there's kind of these ghostly women who show up, either as um, to tempt or to kind of remind mm-hmm. our main characters of something mm-hmm. and, or to represent something. And it's really phenomenal because yeah. that was all done in camera. Yeah, and those, and just watching it even without knowing how they did it, those were still some of my favorite yeah. moments in the film because they really, really worked. And they, they surprised um, me. I did not expect that. I went, oh, wow. We are, yeah. We're definitely doing something new here. Yeah, and there's there's other 
shots where they'll have like six things going on on the screen at once. Like you might be going into the city and you'll see a train and you'll see, right. um, you know, people walking and cars driving. It's like a collage yeah. of moving and, things. And it's stuff that you've seen in other movies since then, uh, a lot of, uh, but at this point they didn't have um, the, the printers, the, the optical printers that they came up with later to do these kinds of effect shots to actually do these collage types of things. Right. And I could they do that were, now on my, on my laptop. Yeah. But, um, you know, today, or, or then, they actually had to take the camera using tape and masking off parts of the lens or the film <laughs> or whatever, and then they would have to count exact frames, and then they would shoot the different elements. And what made it even weirder is that some of the elements were like model trains, and other elements were live people. That's, I and didn't so, know that. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, so you had like this layering on a single negative of these multiple exposures of different elements. Wow. And so, I mean, it's just this incredibly technically detailed filmmaking that, uh, you know, you do watch it today, and it actually, a lot of the shots do have kind of almost a modern sensibility to them Mm -hmm. in the way they work. Or at least modern, maybe not with our computer but but pre-computer yeah. filmmaking i mean they, yeah. they definitely have that that feel of you know really moving cameras around and, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing and it's uh yeah so it's a huge huge technical achievement um of a film so that's what i would say about about it and, and to me that is why this movie is on the list um it has a lot of it pioneered. It was. It, it's kind of the pinnacle of technical achievement mm-hmm. in silent film, and both marked the end of an era of mm-hmm. film, as well as what film could do, and created a promise of something mm-hmm. that then went away for many years as right. sound had to catch up to where the actual filmmaking process had achieved right. um, up to that point. Mm-hmm. So, so does that bring us to our verdict portion of the podcast? Yeah, I think so. Um, I'm, I'll go ahead and go. Um, personally, I did not enjoy this film. Um, not as, as as far as a movie goes. Um, I did begin to enjoy it more once I looked back on it as a poem, as I said before. And in a strange way, I hate to do this again, but it reminded me of comic books where <laughs> I didn't realize I was that guy until recently. Um, but in comic books, a lot of the action takes place in between the panels. And that's what a lot of people don't necessarily realize is that a lot of what makes the story work in a comic book is the reader supplying the action in between the moments that are captured on the page. Um, is you bridging that gap, you understanding what just happened, what must have happened in order for us to get to this next scene basically and this um this movie to me is very similar in the same way in that i kind of had to provide a a real story that this is a metaphor for because Mm -hmm. um if you look at it as a literal story this man is not a good man and no woman should end up with him at the end of it because he tries to kill two women in this movie and basically this woman kind of convinces him she doesn't convince him to come back he kind of goes oh i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry let's you know let's continue living together let's go home and have this baby and all these things and you kind of go i don't know if she should go back with him this seems like an abusive relationship this seems like the kind of thing i see happen and it's not a good thing and so it's hard to root for it as a 
you know, it's not a romantic comedy. It's not one of those things where you're like, oh, good, they did end up together. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you, again, you look at it as a poem, you look at it as a song, you look at it as a as a fable. It it, it begins to work more. Um, it's not a movie I would say you need to go rush out and go watch right now. Um, I think if you're interested in the history of film, this is a a great movie to watch. Mm-hmm. But as just as it, as ni- oh, as a good way to spend ninety minutes. No, I feel like there's really not enough story here to justify its length. Even though there are some cool sequences, there's some funny moments in it. There's one that I think I've, I'm going to share on the website that was probably my favorite scene. It was this big dance scene, and there's this woman whose dress won't stay on, and this man's trying to help her with it, and she doesn't realize <laughs> it. It, like, it keeps slipping, and he's helping it. Finally, he gives up, and he's like, fine, it's kind of rigged. And it, it's a funny little moment, so it's got some good moments in it. Um, but it's again it's like if this was a 15 minute film I'd be like yeah go find this right now this is great but at 90 minutes it's like this is this is overly long <laughs> and it's, it's it's as long as a Disney movie and it's too long yeah no I'm 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 kind of there with you Scott it's um, you know I I'm someone who I really do like film history mm-hmm. and um, you know I enjoy a lot of the the technical aspects and 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 that stuff um but i i don't know that you can really call this an enjoyable movie so much it's it can be fascinating in a certain way but i don't know that any uh there might be and and i i i hope you are that person listening uh who actually will really enjoy it as well as just kind of be interested in it Mm -hmm. um but I don't think that this is... I would not tell anyone that this is like the way to get into silent films. No. Um, this might be kind of an acquired taste, maybe once you get into the world of silent films. Um, there's a lot of better entry points. Um, but at the same time, it is a really fascinating historical document in a lot of ways. And really, uh, yeah, really a milestone in, in the technical achievement of storytelling. And and really, I mean, when you do think of it as kind of a poem or a song or something like that, it really is even a fascinating idea of a way to tell a story in a movie. It's it, you know that I like it more in concept than in yeah. an actual execution of of that concept. Yeah. But at the same time, I do like the idea of being able to do something more than just tell a straight narrative, maybe in a film. So absolutely. Uh, so your mileage is going to vary with this depending on how. Um, you know how artsy fartsy you are um, <laughs> so that's kind of my verdict on it yeah and which kind of takes us um to some alternate options you might have um personally if i i would say if you are thinking about silent films and mm-hmm. getting into them the point i would say to enter is charlie chaplin he is one of my favorites um and specifically modern times which is a movie we'll actually be reviewing on this podcast in about four weeks Mm -hmm. um it's not completely a silent film there is some dialogue in it um but it's mostly silent which is why i think it's a really good entry point into this genre because the other thing that's great about it is that charlie chaplin is hilarious he's a really great storyteller and is a great physical comedian which this movie doesn't have this movie doesn't have that level of comedy this is somebody who charlie chaplin looked at the looked at what he could do on film and push it as far as he could so he's a great uh storyteller he's a great filmmaker and he's really really funny um and that's a movie that's kind of 90 minutes long too i think but it goes by a lot faster because you're kind of giggling through the whole movie um 
So I would highly recommend Modern Times if you like that. Then go explore other things like my actual favorite movie of his, um, The Great Dictator. But that's not a silent film at all. But um, Modern Times, the other movie I would recommend um, is Singing in the Rain because it does kind of explore this moment in film history, but in a big, loud crazy colored musical which is a lot of fun and also a classic which is probably on this list um as well but yeah i'd recommend those two over this and then if you like those give this a try yeah um just a couple others that i would uh, throw in there um my personal favorite silent film um kind of overall is called the passion of joan of arc um it's in its own way it's it's very kind of uh, more of a poem than a full-on narrative but i think it's it's much more powerful than this movie is and and very um uh there there's a criterion dvd of it that has um a specific soundtrack that was recorded more recently for it Mm -hmm. that is just incredibly moving and the acting in it um there's some overacting which is again kind of that of the time but but so much of it is told through the actress's eyes and mm-hmm. there's just some amazing uh work done in, in the film um uh, yeah I, I i quite love that movie so that would be something that i would um suggest more than this a couple other movies it as a good entry point if you're not interested in charlie chaplin although you should be <laughs> um more recently obviously we've had the artist that came out right um i think that's a really nice marrying of some modern sensibility with the silence film silent film sensibility so it could be a really good entry point for someone um to get in to the world and uh you know maybe once you go from there there's some you know really interesting stuff nosferatu we mentioned before mm-hmm. um is kind of creepy and stuff it's maybe not the world's best silent film right but if you're kind of into the whole vampire thing or whatever right now it's it's creepy enough that it'll keep you interested and um and then shadow of the vampire which we mentioned which is about sort of the making of nosferatu and a completely fantastical concept of it where yeah um it it ends up being that there is a real vampire right. who is actually playing the, the vampire, vampire. <laughs> yeah. and it's kind of funny and, and it kind of starts attacking the set and different things yeah. happen and so it becomes like it kind of becomes like this wacky movie making is hard movie while yeah. also kind of being a horror film in its own way <laughs> yeah so that's kind of kind of fun meta filmmaking right i was going to ask you on the subject have you seen the movie metropolis yes i have not and i'm excited to watch it because it just i I have it at work in my whole box on Blu-ray. It came in. It has like the two or three different editions that have mm-hmm. been released. Um, I'm probably going to watch that this weekend. Yeah. Me- Metropolis, uh, I was going to say, is another great movie to go into. It's just visually stunning um, is maybe the best. I mean, just the set design. And, and there, there's a reason it's on people's favorite lists. Um, so definitely cool, incredibly worth your time. So those are, those are kind of the ones I would say. Cool, cool, cool. Um, to get to. So So that wraps things up for Sunrise, a tale of two human lovers. (laughs) It is now combined into one. (laughs) Follow us on Twitter at Movies You Should. Check us out at MoviesYouShouldLove.com Also, I was going to say, if you enjoyed this podcast, and I know this is maybe a slightly uh, a movie you might not have heard of, might not be interested in, we've recorded 28 other episodes at this point, even though this is episode 19 don't ask um so yes. we have like 20 other episodes in which we've reviewed other movies both current and uh classic uh, as of this recording 28 yes. there will be more into the oh yes there will be more so yeah so future people 
there's like 700 of these episodes past people only 28 so far right. uh, but um you can find all of them on iTunes. You can find all of them at our website. Uh, they're there for you to download, whether you have, I, whether you have an iPod or um, something inferior. <laughs> <laughs> and then come back next week where we're going to talk about number 81 on uh, FI's Top 100, uh, Spartacus. We'll see you then. Bye. You've been listening to the Movies You Should Love podcast. Join in the conversation at moviesyoushouldlove.com. 